If you have a Bible, whether it's a a copy of the scriptures there with you or in front of you or on your phone or tablet, whatever it may be, if you would take that and turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses 29 through 33. Jesus is speaking. Then his disciples in verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This is God's word. You'll see a picture of one of our local congregations here in town. Just right down the street from us. And as we pray pray for ourselves today in the hearing of the word. Would you join me as we pray for them as well. Our Father, once again, we open the wonderful words of life. And we open them aware that we're surrounded, living in a world, corruption, trouble, hardship, sorrow. In light of this, we need to hear clearly from our Savior. We need reassuring words, truths that will increase our confidence to keep following Jesus, to persevere to the end. So in addition to praying for ourselves today, we pray for our brothers and sisters at First Assembly of God. As the Word of God is opened and as they worship you and reorient their heart to you, Jesus, speak to them as well. That we might leave today and go into a brand new week with a courageous heart, a confident heart, because our Lord has overcome the world. In His name we pray. Amen. Imagine, moms... Moms, I must ask you first, imagine that you're going on a trip and you're leaving your children behind. Now, before you get all giddy, I'm just, just saying, just, just saying, imagine with me. I was reading an article just the other day about a mother who was going on a trip without her children. And she asked this, she said, what would I need to do in order to feel comfortable about leaving my children behind? And she suggested these things. She said, well, I'd, I'd need to arrange childcare. I'd need to make sure that they were taken care of. I'd need to make sure that meals were prepared. I'd need to anticipate their needs, maybe even any crisis that might occur, and a plan for how to respond to them. You know, should something happen in my absence? She said, in these ways and others, I dedicate thoughtful attention to ensure my children's well-being in my absence. In other words, it'd, it'd be very thoughtful. It'd be like, look, I need to really think this through because I'm going to be gone. I think if you're a parent, you can probably relate to this. And I mention it because in a similar way, this is what Jesus is doing in the passages that we're reading. In fact, beginning in John chapter 13 through the end of chapter 17, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. His earthly ministry is winding down. He knows he's going to leave his disciples soon and he's going to return to his Father in heaven. So he's preparing them. He's getting them ready. He wants to reassure them of the help that he will provide them in his absence. Even though he's gone, even though he's leaving, he's going to provide help for them in his absence. 
He wants to reassure them and instill a sense of hope and confidence that will make a difference in how they experience life when he is no longer physically present. He's been with them for some three years. Now he's going to leave them. He cares about them and he wants to instill hope and confidence in them. And so he bestows words that will mean something when it counts. And, and, and while Jesus' original audience was his disciples, it's not too much of a stretch, I think, that what Jesus has said is applicable to us as well, right? I mean, because we live in a time when Jesus is not physically present. So we too need hope and confidence in his absence. So not only did he care about his original disciples, he cared about all of those who would come to faith in him in light of the fact that he is not physically present. I want you to think with me for a moment about the context that these words come in. Jesus is speaking these words prior to his arrest, prior to his crucifixion, which will be followed, praise God, by his resurrection, which we'll be celebrating, of course, next Sunday. After, after his resurrection, though, he showed himself, right? He showed himself in intervals to his disciples over a 40-day period. And he did so in a way that would leave no doubt in their minds that he had, in fact, risen from the dead. After which, these 40 days, he ascended up into heaven with a promise that he would return again. But in the meantime, we are looking to Jesus, following Jesus, loving Jesus, in spite of the fact that he is not physically present. And so... What can, we, what can we glean from these passages this morning that will help us today? And there's three things that I want to point to. And the first one is the honesty of Jesus. Secondly, the peace that Jesus provides. And thirdly, the courage that Jesus commands. So first, the honesty of Jesus. Would you look at verse 30 with me? The disciples said, this is why we believe that you came from God. The disciples are here reaffirming, they're reaffirming their faith, their belief in Jesus. They say, we believe in you. We believe that you came from the Father. We believe that you're who you said you were. But the question is, and it's a question for all of us, what kind or what quality of faith is this? Oh, they say they believe, and you know it's easy to say, I believe. I believe in Jesus a faith in Jesus, it's easy to say that, but, but what kind of belief do we have? What kind of faith do we have? Is it the kind of faith or belief that will stand firm in the face of difficulty and danger? See, that's a question we need to ask today. It's the kind of belief and the faith that we have. You see, the disciples said, we believe. We believe in you. But is it the kind of faith, is it the quality of faith that will stand firm in the face of difficulty and danger. In other words, do they understand the consequences of faith in Jesus? And we find the answer to these questions in verse 32. Notice in verse 32, he, in verse 31, he said, do you now believe? Do, do you now believe? But then in verse 32, he said, you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying, you're going to abandon me. You're with me right now. And you say that you believe in me but you're going to abandon me. But notice, and, and by the way, this is an interesting thing. There's a lot of people that, that say, you know, I'm not sure that I believe the Bible. I'm not sure the Bible is. These are just ordinary men. They wrote this stuff. I, I, I don't know that it's true. Well, think about it for just a moment. 
If the Bible writers were making this up, would they really portray themselves in this manner? I mean, if they were just making this up, don't you think that they would try to make themselves look better than they do here? Because they don't look so good. They're saying, we believe, we're with you. And then when difficulty came, they ran. But notice, even in their failure, listen, even in their failure, Jesus is speaking tenderly and honestly to them when he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. I think most of us know that. I mean, there's some sense in which we know, we've heard it before, we've read it before. And when someone tells us about their troubles, we might be quick to say, well, you know, in this world, you know, just want to remind you, in this world we have tribulation. That's what Jesus said. But, you know, when it happens to us, when the trouble comes to our house, when the sorrow is in our life, we might lose track of this. Jesus is being honest here. See, God never establishes a no-fly zone keeping all problems away in our lives. See, if we think that about Christianity, we're, we're terribly mistaken. Jesus is making it clear. He never promises that your life will be safe and easy. Job put it this way, our lives are of a few days and full of trouble. Jesus is honestly speaking to his followers then and now. Jesus is honestly speaking, telling them that in the world they will have sorrows that no amount of knocking on wood will satisfy. There's no tricks, there's no superstition, there's no good luck charms that's going to make our troubles and our sorrows go away. In this world, Jesus is saying, honestly, you're not hearing this, you're not hearing this from just a preacher, an ordinary person. This is the God-man. This is Jesus who's come down from heaven and he's speaking honestly to us. In this world, you will have tribulation. And isn't that helpful to know? I mean, let me explain it this way. Isn't it helpful? Isn't it a comfort to know this, to hear it from Jesus' mouth? Because what often happens is this. When we have trouble, when we face sorrow, we'll say things like this. Did I do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? And, and while it's true, while it's true that some of our trouble may be the consequence of bad decision, that's not always the case. Sometimes bad things happen, and it's not because we did something wrong. So it's comforting for Jesus to say, look, in this world, you'll have tribulation. It's also comforting because sometimes we'll say, is God displeased with me? Is God trying to teach me a lesson? There's no answers for these questions given here. What we're given is this. Christians face hardship because this world does not function as God intended it to. This world is in a disarray and a disorder. The creation is groaning in pain. Jesus said, as long as we are in this world, we will face tribulation. Some of you right now, you, your, your whole world's turned upside down. And, and you may be asking, oh, what, what is going on? What is going on? Jesus is saying to you, in this world, you will have tribulation. And I'm glad that Jesus is honest. I wouldn't want a phony Jesus. I want an honest Jesus. And that's what we have. And Jesus is speaking honestly to his followers. In this world, you will have tribulation. But that's not all he says. He is also the Jesus who provides us peace. I, I want you to see this because this is, this is a way, this, these are ways to help you read the Bible. Would you look with me at verse 32? I'm sorry, verse, let's, let's look at verse 33 first. Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me, do you see that? In me. Now notice later in the verse, it'll say in the world. 
Jesus draws a contrast between in me and in the world. Notice next, he draws a contrast between you may have. He said, in me, you may have peace. Then he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. So there's in me, in the world, there's you will have, you will have. And then finally, you will have either peace or tribulation. So notice the contrast that's there. And, and, and let that grab your attention because Jesus is, is laying this out in a clear, defining way. Because he's getting ready to leave. And he wants to give his people the help that they will need to sustain in hope. And Jesus actually holds out to his followers the prospect of peace in a world of tribulation. He just said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But in me, you'll have peace. You, in other words... In other words, as followers of Christ, we can actually have peace in a troubled world. I hear someone saying, well, <laughs> where, where, can I find, where can I find that kind of peace? And the answer is simply, as Jesus said, in me. You see that? See that? Jesus said, in me, in me you will have peace. Not in the world. Not in the world and not in what the world holds dear. Jesus said, in me. Earlier in chapter 14, he said this, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Now, what, is, what does he mean by that? Well, Jesus is speaking this in the first century. And we know that during the first century, the world was under Roman rule. And so how, did, how was Roman peace brought about? Well, we know Roman peace was won and maintained by a brutal sword. See, even today, even today we have people marching and the, the, the government needs to protect us. We, we want to be safe. We want peace. We have to remember that the kind of peace that the world produces is one and maintained by a brutal sword. But the peace that Jesus speaks about is secured by the innocent God-man who suffered and died at the hands of the Romans to secure for us Peace with God. Not, not the peace of this world, but peace with God, the most important being in all the universe. The one who loves his people, the ones who have accepted his people, we matter most to the very one who is the most important being in this world. And we have peace. Peace has been secured with the most important being in the universe. But notice, Jesus said, it's peace in me. Now, let's be clear about what this means. Peace in me. Now, see, oftentimes people have whittled down Christianity to this. Uh, give me a sinner's prayer. I'll pray it. I'll say the right words. I really will. I'll say the right words. And after I do that, I'll start reading my Bible. And perhaps I'll even be baptized and I'll join a church maybe. But all the while, all the while, they're kind of scratching their head going, Something seems to be missing. Something seems to be missing. I've, I've gone, I've checked off the boxes. I've done everything they've said do. Prayed the sinner's prayer, did this, did this. But somehow, you don't feel any different. And that's why the Bible uses language like, in me. Jesus said, in me. Not in religion, not in excellent morality, but in Jesus. And when Jesus uses this phrase, in me, and you'll, you'll, you'll find it numerous times in the New Testament, the one time we do remember it really well is in John chapter 15 when he said, abide in me, abide in me. And then he used the metaphor, the example of a branch and a vine. 
how will that branch, how will that branch live without the vine? It can't. It has to be in the vine. All of its life is going to depend upon the vine. So it has to stay in the vine. And as Christians, we must remain in Christ. It is not pray a sinner's prayer, be baptized, join the church, and go on and and live our lives the way we want to. It is surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Being in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It is to keep fellowship with Christ so that his life, his words can work in and through us to produce fruit. You were saved, I was saved to produce fruit under the glory of God. And we cannot do that with a mere sinner's prayer. We must be in Christ and abide with him daily in fellowship, letting his words, his life work in and through us like a branch connected to the vine. And I had to stop here as I was looking at this and just say something is amazing here. Jesus has just predicted the desertion of his disciples in the very saying in which he assured them of the peace that he would give them. And that is staggering to me. See, Jesus, I don't know, I don't know what everyone, how everyone looks at Jesus, but Jesus is not some brutal, hard taskmaster. He's just said to these disciples, you're going to abandon me. You, know, you say you believe, but you're going to abandon me. But in spite of the fact of their failure, he says, I'm going to give you my peace. Isn't that amazing? See, he loved them for what they were despite their shortcomings. That's the kind of Savior that we have. He knows that we're but dust, yet he has compassion upon us. And in full knowledge that they would act this way, he promised them peace. So let me ask you a question. Where are you finding your peace these days? Really? You you want peace, right? You do. We all do. The world does. The world's screaming for some kind of stability, some kind of peace, things to be right. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But in me, in me, Jesus said, you will have peace. But then Jesus goes on and does something that's probably going to make you mad, maybe. I don't know. So let's kind of work through this. The courage that Jesus commands. The courage that Jesus commands. Notice the very last part of verse 33. But... In other words, in in light of the fact that in this world you will have tribulation, but we can also have the prospect of Jesus' peace, in light of this, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. Some translations say, be of good courage. Others say, have confidence. I I think have confidence is probably where I want to steer you in this morning, okay? Because when you read this and you think about what's happening here, Jesus has just been honest and he said, look, In this world, you're going to have tribulation. And some of you know that to be so true because you're experiencing it right now. Then he says, well, but in me you will have peace. So, in light of this, have confidence. Now, at first, at first, you might say, man, Jesus is being so insensitive here. Doesn't he understand what I'm going through? Doesn't he care? I mean, all he does is say, hey, take heart. Be of good cheer. Have confidence. I mean, is he oblivious to our trials and troubles? Is is that what's going on here? No. I mean, remember, Jesus is the one who's speaking honestly here. And, And if he speaks honestly and tells us honestly, and this is why it's so wonderful, he so honestly says, you're gonna have trouble in this world. But he's also the same honest Jesus that says, look, 
Have confidence because I have overcome the world. Hey, make no mistake about it. Jesus, Jesus is not saying here, put a smile on your face. Jesus is not saying always have a smile on your face. No, look, Jesus is not co-opted the positive thinking movement. Jesus is not saying, hey, just remain positive. Just keep upbeat and keep smiling. No, because sometimes we're going to face tears. We're going to face grief, sorrow. That's what the word tribulation means, tight places. So Jesus is not saying, oh, just throw all that to win and just keep smiling. He's not saying that at all. In fact, Jesus is facing his own troubles and trials when he said this. And I went through a short list this week of just what Jesus is dealing with as he's trying to help his disciples. First, many people dislike Jesus. Read the Gospels. You'll find out not everybody liked Jesus. And we find, especially the Pharisees, they did not appreciate his ministry at all. Jesus had to leave Judea to get away from them. And soon after, they begin to talk about killing him. So Jesus is living under the reality that there are people who want to kill him. There's people groaning and grumbling about his teaching. Even his own, some of his own disciples left him and they said, look, your sayings are too hard. Then Jesus is accused of being a liar. The temple guards try to unjustly arrest him. He's alleged to be a demon and, and almost stoned. He has to hide and flee for his safety. Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. He, he knows what it is to lose a friend, someone close. He weeps and is greatly troubled by the loss of his friend And Jesus knows that one of his own disciples is going to betray him. All of this is going on in Jesus' life. All of this is happening to Jesus. Yet strikingly, it's amidst his suffering that Jesus commands his disciples to take heart. (laughs) Right in the midst of all that, he said, be of good courage. Have confidence. Why? Because it's through Jesus' sufferings that he will overcome the world. You see, what we're going to find here is after his conversation with his disciples... He's going to the cross. And then you might say, you know, that doesn't sound too promising. I imagine to the outsider, the outsider, this would seem to be total defeat. Christ going to the cross and that's, it's all over. But we know, we know that Jesus sees it as his complete abiding victory over all the world and all it could do to him. Everything the world could throw at Jesus was thrown at him. Yet in spite of that, he brings us abiding victory through him. For Jesus went from the cross to the grave, and from the grave he was raised, and he conquered death. He ascended into heaven, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And it's on the very basis of this. It's on the very basis of this that Jesus says, be confident, be confident. Let me trim it down, and we'll close. Jesus is saying here, this life, this world, all our suffering, All our sorrows are temporary. And and Jesus is not being insensitive. He's not saying, look, it's no big deal what you're going through. He's not saying that. He's being honest and saying that in light of this life, this world, our sufferings, our sorrows are all temporary. In light of what he has done, they're all temporary. And even right this moment, they're passing away. And those who are in Christ, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? I'm not asking you if you're into religion. I'm not asking you if you're into living a good moral life. I'm asking you, are you in Christ? Have you looked to him as your very life? For all those who are in Christ can be of good cheer. You can be of good cheer. You can have confidence because his life 
trajectory has become yours. Do do you understand that? Being in him, his life trajectory becomes ours. He overcame the world, and because he has overcome, we are overcomers. This is the assurance. This is the assurance that Jesus gives his disciples in his absence. He's not here, but he left for us what we need to persevere and endure. So how do we do that? Two simple statements that I've done. Keep what Jesus has done before you. Keep what Jesus has done before you. There's a lot of things to watch. There's a lot of things to listen to. I'm not going to get into a laundry list of what you should and what you shouldn't. You're going to have to use Christian discernment for that. But here's what I would say. Don't let anything be effective in crowding out what you should keep close. And what you should keep close is what Jesus has done for you. Jesus is saying these words. He's speaking these words to his disciples so that they will count when it really matters. So keep close to you what Jesus has done. Let what he has done for you and what he will yet do for you give you confidence to persevere, to press on, to keep believing. Not just relying on a believing that happened 15 years ago or 10 years ago or 5 years ago, but a present day believing like a branch in a vine. Because in this world, we will face tribulation, but we have his peace and we can be confident because he has overcome the world.